0: Hi, I'm Rachel Handler, and in my weekly column... (laughs) (laughs) Help me. (laughs) In your weekly
1: column... (laughs) (laughs) You sound great. You sound
0: great. Hi, I'm Rachel Handler, and in my weekly column, Lady Problems, I call out Hollywood for treating women like barely sentient trash. And then I offer eminently reasonable solutions to the issues at hand. Over the past six months, I've solved some of the entertainment industry's biggest problems by replacing HBO's innumerable rape scenes with scenes of pigeons pooping, clockwork-oranging every man on Earth with Sex in the City DVDs, and stranding Woody Allen on a ghost ship headed straight to hell. Today, we're expanding the Lady Problems universe with this very first episode of Lady Problems, the podcast. Every Thursday, me and a rotating crew of MTV News Ladies will look at the way pop culture has treated women this week. So we'll talk about whatever bullshit is being hurled at the general female population in a given week, and we'll provide similarly deranged solutions. We'll interview celebrities and writers and all sorts of hilarious women about their awesome projects and inevitable lady problems. We'll talk about the pieces of popular culture that actually, if you can imagine it, center on and empower women. And we'll answer your questions about your lady problems and just generally have a great time shitting all over the patriarchy together. This week, we've got the brilliant Teo Bugbee. Hi, Teo. Hi. And the equally brilliant Hazel Sills. Hi, Hazel. Hi. And we'll get to our weekly takedown in a bit. But first, here's an interview that Teo and I did with the lovely Mara Wilson. You will probably remember Mara from every nostalgic childhood movie that you've ever seen. She was Matilda and Matilda. She was Robin Williams' the youngest daughter and Mrs. Doubtfire. She was Susan and Miracle on 34th Street. And as you'll find out today, she also elbowed Jonathan Taylor Thomas in The Crotch. Now she's a storyteller and an author who just published her first book, Where Am I Now? True Stories of Girlhood and Accidental Fame. So Mara, do you want to tell us a little bit about, about yourself and the book?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. So I uh, I have always loved telling stories. I've been telling stories and performing them since I could talk. And because I like to perform... I got into child acting, I kind of fell into child acting, which is something that happens uh, when you are a child in Southern California. And uh, I had this career, and then when I was a teenager, uh, I had what I consider a mutual breakup with Hollywood where I walked away from it because I wasn't really into it and they weren't really into me anymore. And now I have come back to do more writing. Uh, I still do do some voiceover acting, but yeah, but now I've been writing and I've been doing storytelling for the past few years. And this is a book that is sort of a memoir of my youth and my childhood and all about growing up and feeling like you are a little too young and a little out of place.
0: Hmm. Okay. So why, what made you decide to write this book now?
1: I think I've always wanted – I mean I've always wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to be an author from you know, the time I knew what books were. That was what I wanted to be. Um, honestly, I'm just kind of happy writing anything. <laughs> and this was the interest that this seemed to be something that people were interested in, you know, and I thought, OK, well, I'll do that. I'll kind of take control of my own narrative and I will do this. And also, I think like it was kind of a good tribute to people, to my mother who died, to, you know, my family who kept me grounded, to. Uh, to, you know, to people like Robin Williams that, you know, and and Sir Richard Attenborough, people that I'd worked with who, who have, you know, since passed on. And even people that, you know, people that are still around and still doing awesome stuff like Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman and their whole family. It was, it, it felt like I kind of wanted to pay tribute to them as well.
2: We were just talking about how obsessed we are with Danny DeVito and Real Killman. Yes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they're, they are they are the nicest people. They are your fun aunt and uncle. They really are. Uh, you're it's killing me. That's so yeah. They have a house, they have a, yeah, their house has secret passageways in it. Yeah. Who'd have thunk? Yeah, it's so much fun. They're just wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um. So you, after you spoke out about the Mrs. Doubtfire sequel on Twitter like a yeah. year ago, there was this idea of you that you were like shunning your childhood fame. But reading this book, it's very clear that you aren't, and you're kind of you've come to this acceptance phase of it. What what sort of changed that for you?
1: I think at the time, I I think you know it's something that that changed almost suddenly for for me. I think that there were a lot of times that. You know, I felt disconnected from my past or I mean, if I feel like having the past that I had is a little bit like like when you meet like one of your mom's friends and she's like, I remember when you were just so little and you're always (laughs) going to be that little girl for me. And you're just like, you know, let me live my life. But it's like that times a million (laughs) because so many people know you. And and I felt like I was being asked about it so much. And uh, I don't know. I think the idea of being in the public eye I mean, obviously, like, I like attention. I have, you know, I I tweet all the time. But (laughs) the idea of having to be in film again and having to face that kind of scrutiny just did not appeal to me at all and made me very afraid. So I immediately had this knee-jerk reaction like, nope, nope, not going to do it. Can't do this. Can't do this at all. Yeah. I I didn't think about giving a measured response. I was just so, it was so just knee-jerk. And... And you know, and I, I but I had I looked at that later and I thought about how I'd come across and people were calling me ungrateful and all these things and and you know, but you're still coasting on the successes that you had and I thought about it and I I felt like I had to make it clear afterwards, like, you know what, I, I am proud of what I've had. You know, I am proud of what I've had. I'm I'm proud of the opportunities that I've had and what I've done. It's been a good time. It was, you know, it made me who I am. It wasn't always easy, but but, you know, I loved it. And I think also after Robin's death, especially, too, I, I very much was like was reflecting on it. And, you know, I I I wish that I could have explained myself. You know, I think that people also don't really understand having more than one feeling about things. Yeah, totally. you know, That's especially true. not people on the Internet, especially not <laughs> random men on the Internet. Right. Yeah, they they don't understand having more than one feeling about things. That's
2: like something we were talking about, too. I mean, our podcast is about the problems that women face in media, but it's also true that as much as there's objectification in terms of how people perceive women, there's also that in terms of how people perceive children. Definitely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There. Were, I mean, you wrote about it then in a book, too, about how, yeah. even on film sets, they were commenting on h- how your boobs got bigger. They were yeah. commenting on you going through puberty, and there were all these people on the red carpets asking you who do you think is sexy? Brad oh, yeah. Pitt. So that, I mean, when did you sort of realize how messed up that was.
1: I think I, I realized that pretty young. You know, I would see the way that my parents reacted to it, and it really frustrated me. And for a while, it made me very much, you know, kind of uptight about sex and my body and all of these things, you know. And it, it definitely, I think it definitely had an effect on me. And it uh, it made me uncomfortable with who I was. You know, I felt like i I was moving away from myself. And so... So I think that, yeah, at a young age, I learned that and it got more and more intense as I got older and I learned more and more how creepy these things could be and how intense they could be and how, just how, you know, and how awful they can treat you. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was something, but then, and then I saw on the other side, I, I, I got to see it from the other side too, you know, I... I got to see what happens when you're not cute, you know? The way, And I was rejected because I wasn't cute, because I wasn't conventionally pretty. And in some ways I'm still kind of rejected because of that. You know, some people are like, you were so great, why aren't you acting again? And I'm like, well, partly because, you know, it was kind of tedious, it was kind of hard, but also... There are so many things, you know, I couldn't live my life like, I don't know, Blake Lively or somebody like that. Not that we would be playing the same characters, <laughs> but, you know, I, I couldn't live my life like that. We're just, totally. you know, it's completely different people. It's not, it doesn't play to my strengths. To go back to the men on the Internet thing, what, what, God, this yeah. part of
0: your book that really horrified me. <laughs> The most was the whole thing with the Mister Cranky website where they oh were my God, right? talking about like yeah. she's you know she's old enough to have boobs but she's not old enough so you can see them but and like the yeah. foot fetish oh child, yeah child oh yeah that was nuts to me like I can't believe that that was going on. Even then, you know, do you yeah. think it's gotten worse? Do you think it's always been there? Yeah, that sort of internet too, rage? Because like, yeah, that internet rage is like 90s mm-hmm. internet rage. Right. <laughs> right. Which, like We
2: talk about it as like, oh, like the, the scourge of today. But it's like, well, that's...
1: it's it's brought it. There's attention to it today. That is one difference now is that there is probably a lot more of it, but it's harder to hide. That's the thing there. You know, you you it's, it's harder to to, you know, back then, I think you could get away with a lot because there weren't people policing it because not everybody was on the internet because not everybody had a Google alert on their name Mm -hmm. you know I had to go through a few pages of you know search engines before I came to really disturbing stuff about me but I did (laughs) and yeah and and the thing is that at the time there was some of it that I could just kind of take in stride there was some of it that definitely really upset me and made me feel like I mean it, it made me feel like my body was not my own You know, when you go through puberty as a child actor, it's not about, like, loving yourself and accepting yourself. It's about hiding it, you know, until the last possible minute. Totally. I mean, they made me wear, like, binders across my chest, you know? They made me do. And that's the way, you know, and that's the way that it has to be. I mean, the thing about Hollywood, people like to say that Hollywood is immoral, and they're wrong. It's amoral. Hmm. There's there's actually a great Joan Didion essay where she talks about Hollywood and she says that it's far more run by like bureaucrats who who see people. It's it's numbers. It's a numbers game. It's it's ruthlessly pragmatic. And so it's very much just kind of like, okay, you don't you know, you actresses are sort of interchangeable. It's all about this or that. You know, if you're a favorite, you're a favorite. But it's not it's it's not as sleazy as people think it is. I mean it is still pretty sleazy but a lot of it is just kind of cold. Cold yeah. and calculated. Well
2: it's also like the way people are talking to you is like very transactional to begin with too about yeah. it. You know what I mean? Of like, okay, we're gonna get a good sound bite from this seven year old. Yeah, <laughs> right.
1: Like that's a thing that I can't even I, I can't even fathom, like asking a asking a seven year old about like what she thought of Hugh Grant, you know, propositioning a sex worker. Yeah. Like what would you and my, my parents called and complained the next day and said, What were you what were you thinking? This is not You know, this is not something that a child should be should have an opinion on.
2: Do you think that's still the case for child actors working today?
1: I think that people I think that people do treat them inappropriately, but I do think that there's more pushback now. Um, we also, yeah, we loved the stories about you
2: being at child actor camp yes. with other child actors. Oh god, yeah. Is there like a child actor Facebook group? Like what? <laughs> is there like a, a, a cult? Like I need to like yeah. a Google chat.
1: We had, yeah, we had. Well, <laughs> what we did is we all did charity work together. Mm. I did tons of charity when I was a kid because I was I was a really sensitive kid and I really wanted to help people. <laughs> uh, but and, Very I, and I still do. Mm-hmm. It, it totally was it totally was and I still do I still do but um, but yeah once we all hit puberty we were all doing these you know these these things together and we'd go to events and we'd like help people and we'd do we'd do cool things but then like you know later on we'd be like doing the, the elbow thing on the ride home or the you know so funny just making dirty jokes or you know like Like, we all dated each other. We all dated each other. I mean, like, there were a few who were, like, kind of... Tinder for child stars. Well, there were a few who were kind of, like, beyond at the time. Like, the Malcolm in the Middle guys were considered a little bit off limits. We could go to events with them, but they weren't, you know. At the time, Malcolm in the Middle was huge. Mm. And, like, Hilary Duff, she was in the group, and we all knew her and liked her because she was a really sweet girl. But, like, I don't think she ever dated in that group. But the rest of us were all dating each other. Well, she was with Aaron Carter. Yeah, she was with (laughs) Aaron Carter, yeah. But the rest of us, we were all dating each other, like like you know one of the guys i think like i think one of the guys that i actually wrote about like he went on to be in twilight and you know it's it's uh we all yeah we we it was all dated incestuous. Each other. Mm. it was very incestuous it was very incestuous and we we kind of had to make sure that everybody was okay with it yeah and, <laughs> yeah I feel like my 12-year-old self
0: would die to know this gossip.
1: Um, I want
0: to hear about, also, you elbowed Jonathan Taylor Thomas in the crotch. Oh, my God. And you just, you just went right past that. And I like,
2: know. I know. <laughs> that, that
1: was, so we have this He was just from just my adventures. hometown. Biggest hometown hero.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Where, where is he from? He's from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Also oh. home of The Rock.
1: Those were our two. Uh, so Jonathan Taylor Thomas was at this uh, this like Disney Adventures photo shoot with uh, with like Lacey Chabert who was she was so sweet so pretty. Jonathan Taylor Thomas was directly behind me and I knew him by this time. Like the first time I met him, I was a little starstruck because I knew all the girls thought he was cute. Mm-hmm. And I sat next to him at the Golden Globes. I actually remember my mom <laughs> saying to me, "Well, well, well, looks like you got lucky." Oh wow! <laughs> um, and That's
2: such a mom comment. It really That's was. The most. Mom. It really was. And
1: then uh, and I I had like brought my favorite stuffed animals all dressed up to the Golden Globes and he oh complimented God. me on them and uh, it was so cute but like we you know we knew each other fairly well at that or you know we weren't like best friends but we knew each other
2: you were Golden Globes pals yeah so, no need to so explain. he was behind
1: me and you know he's, he's like 13 or something and they're trying to take pictures of us and he won't stop talking You know, and he's like making just like little jokes, you know, and and I like elbowed him quickly to be like, Jonathan, come on, take this seriously, man, because that was the kind of kid that I was like, guys, we need to do this. We need to focus. So I elbowed him and he goes, how? And everybody's like, what's wrong? And he goes, Mara elbowed me in (laughs) groin. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently it wasn't I don't think I did too much damage, but it was it was close enough that like <laughs> there was there was some some anxiety there some like worry there but no you I, rendered
0: him sterile I
1: did not render Jonathan Taylor Thomas <laughs> sterile as far as I know I, I certainly hope not I he would have been he wasn't like in falling over pain he was just like oh
0: ow hey crotch improvement yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes oh man another 12 year old dream uh, reviewing I, Jonathan Taylor Thomas and the that's the
1: thing I was like 8 at the time so I didn't appreciate it yeah. <laughs> I didn't I you wasn't, have it forever I now. had nothing to i, I like, like other people would have been like, oh, my God, you were so close to Jonathan Taylor Thomas's crotch. But like, like uh, that's that's totally inappropriate. Oh, that's no, I, I was I was eight. I didn't I didn't know what I was yeah, totally. doing. Yeah.
0: Well, we can reflect on it now.
1: Did yeah. you ever
2: have crushes on the people that you worked with? Like oh, yeah. on being on movie sets?
1: Yeah, I totally did. I totally did. I also had my first girl crush on the set of a TV show. So this is, and I don't think I've ever like said this on record before. So like, consider yourselves <laughs> lucky. Yeah. Um, so I I uh, I did this. Saree Pearlman. Uh, after Matilda, she had a Real sitcom Pearlman for a while. Also,
2: our girl crushes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's amazing. So she had this sitcom for a while called Pearl, that was about a woman going back to college. And I went there and I did a did a uh, I did this like a stint on it as a. Um, I guess as, a like, a child genius that was, like, secretly tutoring people at the college. And, yeah, I played a lot of child geniuses, I guess. <laughs> um, and, and there was this one actress there who was so nice and so kind and so pretty and elegant and just kind of radiated intelligence and elegance and she was she was so such an intense actor but she was really kind of like sweet and soft spoken with me and her character was supposed to hate mine mm-hmm. because she had like spent all her life working like you know working really hard whereas i was just a child genius and so she so her character, uh, she she came up to me and she's like, I know my character doesn't like you, but I want I want to make you sure you know that I actually really like you. Aww. Oh, that's so like, nice. Yeah, and and she was so pretty and so smart and so nice, and she couldn't be there one day because she had food poisoning or something, and I was like sad, I missed her, <laughs> and like only years later did I was I like, oh, that was like that was a crush,
3: <laughs> and
1: you know, uh, and that woman was Lucy Lou. Wow. wow! Oh my God, that's the best mic drop I've ever heard yeah, in my yeah. life. Yeah, everybody in the room just put their hands over their hearts. Yeah, that was. Ugh. I was. Love yeah, you, Lucy I, Lou I had such. I had. I, I love Lucy. What can I say?
0: Well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll end there because what could be more perfect? Thank you so much. This is so much fun. No, thank you so much. And this has been um, a lot of fun. thanks for writing your book. It was great.
1: Thank you. Thank you for reading yeah, it. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I'm. I'm very excited.
0: So that was Mara Wilson, former child star, current storyteller, and author of the new book, Where Am I Now? Next up, Teo Hazel and I talk about Sean Lennon mansplaining, mansplaining, plus Louis C.K. as a problematic, potentially masturbating fave. And we have a little recurring segment that we like to call Fucked Up in a Good Way Movie about Women of the Week. So, Teo, tell us what fuckery Sean Lennon engaged in this week. All
2: right. So, Sean Lennon, son of former Beatle John Lennon, uh, decided that now would be a good time for him to basically uh, explain to the internet that mansplaining is discriminatory. And he sent out this tweet that said, I quote, It has the word man in it, and it's not fun for men. This is talking about mansplaining, <laughs> by the way. And it's sexist, which ultimately undermines women, too. Hmm. Thoughtful news from Sean. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. <laughs> yeah. So Sean um, is just leading the charge on taking
0: back sexism for men. Um, <laughs> I think, have you guys ever had, I mean, I know I have had these experiences where, like, you care about somebody in your life. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about, I love my dad. I'm sure he's listening to this. Hi, dad. Uh, like, I would say maybe five years ago, he was kind of, like, not down with, like, the feminist lifestyle <laughs> and I had to sort of explain to him like dad you know like this is a, he's like we don't need feminism like everything's great kind of thing and it, he's like coming from a really well-meaning place yeah. and I think he's he's obviously gotten it now but back then I remember just feeling like enraged like I had no way to explain it to him so again I think it's I'm going to give Sean the slight benefit of the doubt and think he's just like not educated about this stuff which is fine but then like I there's no excuse when you're Sean Lennon to not be educated about yeah. this stuff. Like you've got Yoko ono for your mom. What was what was a time that you guys have been like mansplained to, and how to do how to do deal? <laughs> Oof. What who was mansplained to you, Hazel? Tell us tell us all. Oh, there's a
3: treasure trove. Of, <laughs> uh, I was on a panel once, and I was invited to it because it was about the Breakfast Club, the movie, The Breakfast Club. And um, I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and I was writing for Rookie at the time, so they invited me to speak, and there was a, um, a male uh, film critic there. And every time I, no matter what I said, he would just act as if, you know, the, like writing was a little hobby for me, or oh that because God. I was a teenager, I couldn't maybe understand the complexities of the film, which is about teenagers, um, and just... It was very humiliating because it, it just felt like every time I tried to talk about writing, he would sort of footnote that to the audience and say like, well, actually writing is like this, da-da-da, and it, that was just one example of someone mansplaining Did you me. do anything or were you like just... I I didn't do any... I wish I had done something. This was a few years ago, so I was a lot younger, and I was kind of like, t- like taken aback, but... Um, but he did try to add me on Facebook after the panel, and I <gasps> deleted. Oh <laughs> His shit! Friend request. That's so, <laughs> a sad revenge. <laughs> you know what?
0: Sometimes that's the best you can do when you're a teenage girl. Yeah. There's not a lot of power available to you. Yeah, I was.
3: Except, it's also yeah, such, just one example.
2: <laughs> it's such like a film critic thing too, where it's like such an industry like dominated by dudes. Yeah, that it's really like it can be really intimidating because there's just very little structural support, like just literal not
3: that many women. Yeah, it's also bizarre just because of the film we were talking about. I'm like, I yeah. am a young woman. <laughs> Le- Please let me talk about Molly Ringwald's character right? in yeah. this movie. And you were in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, I directed the film <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. Like, let you talk about your movie. Yeah. I don't know if this is mansplaining, but the first thing that came to my mind was when I was at a bar. I was in college with my brother and his friend, and he... Uh one of his friends was like about to get in a fight with some random dude and I was I was like you guys this is so like cliche stop and the guy the friend we'll call him Joe he was like honey don't get involved to me and I was like, well, wow. Okay. This is a West Side Story. I I was in like the 40s. Okay. So I was like, um, don't call me honey. Like that's, you're, we're not even friends and you're not allowed to do that. And he was like, whatever. So then I ended up seeing him again the next day. I was at his apartment. My brother was in town to clarify. So we were like hanging with his peeps or whatever. And uh, he walked up to me. I was in a group of people, this kid, Joe. And he was like, yo, last, last night I saved this girl's life talking about me. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I saved her from, like, getting in a fight with this, like, dude. Like, he was going to punch her. And I was like, that's not at all what happened. I was like, I walked up and tried to break up a fight between you and a stranger, and then you called me honey and told me not to get involved. And he goes, that's not true. I've never called anyone honey in my entire life in front of this whole group of people making me sound – like, gaslighting me to death in front of this whole group of people. And I I was just – I didn't know what to say. And he goes – Yo, this girl's a maniac to like the whole group. This girl's a maniac, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And I just looked at my brother, and I'm like, "I'll be right back." <laughs> and I went into this kid's room. He had shown me his room before, and I fa- and his like you axe Ugg- murdered him, didn't you? I axe, I killed him. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> Rachel Handler took an axe, and I found his Ugg slippers, which were like right <laughs> at, the, right, at the, right at his door, <laughs> and I poured my beer into. <laughs> and then my brother came up to me and he was like what did you just do and I was like we have to leave uh, and so we left and that's the end of the story <laughs> but then every time I saw him after that I pretended I didn't remember his name so I'd be like oh what's her name like Kevin And Sean Lennon, Lennon. yeah Sean so anyway I, we should pour a beer in Sean Lennon's shoes that's great
3: <laughs> that is a great solution and to, literally. to sexism <laughs> thank you I think
0: it works This is kind of my lady problem, but also kind of everybody's lady problem. Maybe, allegedly, we're gonna say allegedly. My dad,
3: Louis (laughs) C.K. My
0: dad. (laughs) So last night I went to a Louis C.K. show, which was sort of against my will. I uh, I bought the tickets with my boyfriend a while ago. Um, Can I listen to Louis C.K. with all of these allegations, you know, going on? Do you guys know about these? Yes. Yes. Sweet. Should should we we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about it for the for the listeners if you don't know, but there have been rumors and they're just rumors at this point for years about how Louis CK allegedly masturbates in front of other women comics sort of against their will. No one's actually come out and said this has happened to me, which makes it really difficult to parse, but on Jen Kirkman's podcast, she talked about a Cosby-level famous comic and known perv, and she didn't name him. And later she backpedaled and said, you know, you have friends, you're a woman in comedy. Sometimes they're creepy, and they're really successful. And then this Gawker article came out that included emails from a tipster who claimed that Louis took his penis out in front of uninterested and frightened girls. That's a quote. Uh, and recently, even Roseanne Barr came out swinging against him, telling the Daily Beast that a high-profile male comic is about to get busted. I've been speaking up. It's Louis C.K. He's locking the door and masturbating in front of women comics and writers. I've heard so many stories. This is all Roseanne saying this. And she's not saying it happened to her. But, again, it's all women comics saying that, anonymously saying it's happened to them or that it's happened to people they know. It's in the air. It's in the air. Yeah. yeah, And we don't know. And I also think yeah. it's
2: like lots of women comics – coming into like the comedy scene who are told like be Be careful careful. around louis like that i've heard too me too you know from like my friends in the comedy world in new york Mm -hmm. and so it's just a general air but without any concrete totally concrete allegations concrete charges concrete anything right no one has acknowledged any of this in a way that actually makes these
0: things into like a right a statement, I guess right, and it's hard, and obviously we're on this like we want to believe women, but it's mm-hmm. hard when there's not like a single story that we can say, okay, I believe that. You know, it's just it's just sort of a rumor that has pervaded the comedy world for a long time. Um, but when it, it should be said too, though, that like six out of every like thousand
2: rapes actually result in a man being incarcerated and so like how do you how do you like create a safe space in that legal environment is sort of through unofficial means and unofficial Mm -hmm. networks and so i think everyone even completely like disregarding fame and celebrities like everyone has encountered that like friend of a friend who like you walk into a party it's like oh don't talk to him there like Mm -hmm. maybe this isn't the guy for you right now like He has this history, you know, Mm -hmm. that's like beyond just the comedy scene. That's one of the ways that I think women protect each other. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: I I wonder then how male, if male comics do that, because I feel like Louis C.K. has performed with like Jerry Seinfeld and like huge, you know, male comedians. And I wonder if there are, if they ever think about this. You
0: mean if they warn women? If they
3: warn women, yeah.
0: That's, I mean, also, so last night he had three women open for him. And I was like, this feels like damage control.
2: (laughs) Well, but it's also, he has, like, that's a huge part of his comedy, too, is Mm -hmm. his active and open feminism. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something that he has made not just, like, a part of his comedy, but a part of his brand, you know? Totally. Like, his show is, like, constantly dealing with those issues. Like, it's constantly, he's working with women,
0: almost always. Right, in. he's producing Pamela Elan's show. Right. But also a big part of his comedy, which is another part of the issue, is about like jacking off and right his obsession with his dick and his obsession with, you know, like a sex in general. And a, like a seedy sexuality, yeah. too. and last night that was the same thing. I kept cringing because he was making all these jokes yeah. about masturbating and I was like, dude, like maybe take those out of your act. If nothing else, like Yeah. It was extremely tone deaf, I thought.
3: Because I... I, So I'm not, like, a huge Louis fan. Like, I've never seen his stand-up and... Well, I've seen some of his stand-up, but, like, not live. And Mm -hmm. I've seen episodes of his show. But the episodes of his show that I have always loved the most are the ones where women are prominently featured. Like, Parker Posey and Pamela Adlon and, like, his daughters. Mm -hmm. So you the ethics of you going to a comedy show i felt that recently watching pamela adlon's show which mm-hmm. he directs and produces and they've you know had this relationship in their careers um, and for me it was a lot easier to sort of igno- ignore the louie influence because the story was so much about her right but the comedy in which he openly addresses his creepiness it's like <laughs> i can't find it's like your- creepiness funny there's right. no way I can find it funny because it's too real yeah you right. Know? you can't
2: like have your cake and masturbate to it too you know <laughs> but yeah. you masturbate on
3: it <laughs> like it's, it's different I, I don't know if I would ever be attracted to a comedian that like their comedy was you know about being a creepy guy JK I'm not like I'm a nerd like bird you know <laughs> No, but but now you have the real life story of Louis C.K. You know, preying on women. So it's like I I can't even enjoy this. Yeah, that's on a funny level. And even
2: when there are allegations, it's like almost not being sure means that like you're stuck in a limbo of I can't even make a decision about this because it's like it's not official. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like unresolved too. You know, yeah. there's like a sense that. It's like, are you getting away with something? Are yeah. you tricking me? Like, yeah. are you trying to trick me right now? It's Like, until, yeah, I just, I can't resolve it with him. I, yeah. I also just can't,
0: can't deal with the... So I need to let my daddy, Louis C.K., <laughs> yeah. go into the wind. That's fine. Yeah. I needed you guys. You know what? I needed to hear it from you guys.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard because I just, this might be cynical of me, but there are probably so many TV shows and movies in which there are people who Oh absolutely are terrible yeah. men, yeah. rapists, horrible people who are producing or directing. Well, like. and I
2: mean that's the thing is like if there weren't somebody like that would face a lot more structural criticism from the system that supports them. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
3: What's so disturbing about, like, the Louis C.K. stuff is it feels like it's, like, in purgatory. Like, it's not completely out, Mm -hmm. but it's not totally hidden. Yeah. And it's just an indication that, like, there are really widespread problems in the comedy community, as there probably are in a lot of different industries. So it's just this weird, it's, like, just, I wish, I, you know, it's just this weird, like, bad taste. Mm -hmm.
0: That's how I felt Uh. the whole show. And I I just needed to, like, confirm that that was...
3: That I, was how I, that you I were feeling. Have been there. Like <laughs> we absolve you of your <laughs> no, but Louisa you know what? case is that what you wanted? Yeah, to please do? help me. <laughs> no, it, in a way, you solved your own problem
2: in that, like now you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Like you know, it makes you uncomfortable, right? You know, like it's different when you still enjoy the work itself. When you know,
0: then you're dealing with a different right. kind of negotiation. Although that, like, they're, when he's not joking about sex or like whatever, he, and he's making jokes, like he had an amazing like ISIS joke, you know, <laughs> which was like really funny and Mm -hmm. good and when he's talking about sort of things that have nothing to do with him and are just larger social commentaries and not about his dick like I enjoy him I think he's smart I think you know he makes really trenchant funny points but it's not enough for me I mean obviously like let me say that I am the first to disavow men all the time, based on <laughs> shitty things that they've done in person. I'll pour beer on their shoes. Mm-hmm. I'll, you know what I yeah. mean, like, yeah. or I'll stop watching their movies. I don't watch Woody Allen anymore. I don't listen to R. Kelly anymore. Like, I don't. Those are things that are easy for me. The, the Louie thing, like you said, it's it was so limbo esque, or it it is that I can't. I hadn't really made a decision yet, but I think yeah. you're right. If I feel, if you feel uncomfortable, just, just that's just, I just that's gotta the let sign. It go. yeah. Goodbye, Louie. Another thing we're going to talk about regularly on this podcast whenever we feel like it, because it's our podcast, uh, we're going to talk about fucked up movies about women um, every now and then, and uh, but it fucked up in a good way. Allow me to clarify. So by fucked up, we mean like batshit, insane movies about women that don't we make wanna, a ton of sense. We want to like dig into the dark parts of the lady psyche. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And more often than not, they will star Nicole Kidman. Just because that's kind of been her her wheelhouse. So, Teo, tell us about this week's fucked up movie in a good way of the week. Well, this came about pretty naturally, I think, because we
2: just happened to be talking about various fucked up movies we liked. Mm-hmm. And one of the fucked up movies that I really like is this movie by Jonathan Glazer called Birth, which was made in 2005 and was like pretty controversial when it came out and has kind of sort of developed a cult following and the movie stars Nicole Kidman as this woman who her husband died several years before, very suddenly of a heart attack. She's so, so, so in love with him, still in love with him, about to get remarried. And then all of a sudden, this creepy little kid like, wanders up to her door, basically, and is like, okay, so here's the thing. I'm your husband, and I've been reincarnated into this child's body. And this recently happened to me, which is why I didn't seek you out. <laughs> and I, you can't marry the man that you're about to marry because I'm your husband. I mean, been there. Am I right?
0: If this hasn't happened to you, have you had a lady problem? Yeah. No, you haven't. Yeah. So, Teo told us about this yesterday, and then we all went home and watched it. So, I suggest you do the same before listening to a segment. Um, Or you could just listen because it's going to be fun. Uh, (laughs) Hazel, you had some opinions. Let's see. I
3: did not enjoy this film. Oh, my God. I love it (laughs) as much much as my co host did uh, for many reasons. Oh, so many. First being, thought the dialogue was a little thin, Mm. felt like parts (laughs) of the script were not fleshed out enough. One being, I don't really get to see Nicole Kidman's character interact with her husband at all. Well, he's
2: like not, he's dead. Yeah, I know, but... He's dead, Hazel. are you talking
3: about the boy? (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about her adult husband. I just felt like there wasn't a lot of character development there. To You know, I wanted to see their relationship and... It just kind of after he dies, it's like ten years onward, and it's like I I'm just sort of thrown into her life. I would have liked to know a little bit more about their relationship, but maybe that is for the maybe you like the ambiguity and you like not knowing that.
0: Yeah, I think that made it interesting because you again it adds a whole other layer of is this kid who by the way Nicole Kidman does she fuck the kid? Uh, she does not fuck the. They thing. have that. They, they have they they also leave it in weird. The air. <laughs> They, they have some weird she chemistry. She tucks him into bed and then all of a sudden we're in a cab.
2: Yeah. I, okay, that was my
3: other thing too. She
2: does
0: kiss the kid. That's oh, without she question. She bathes
2: with him. She. I think that shot is CGI, but I'm not sure. No, no.
3: That was some real shit. Everyone Ugh. is too I love chill this movie. in this movie. Everyone is yeah. too chill. Like, That's they what makes it so weird. It's so creepy. the possibility that he is her husband reincarnated. reincarnated. Just like too... Immediately, immediately, yeah. it's too chill for me. Wait,
2: I feel like the second they get into that opera, I'm sold. I'm like, oh, that scene was
3: very good. Where it's just the close up of her face, and there's she's this, like,
2: there's this scene in the movie where it's basically like the little boy collapses because he's like, I'm too into this, like I can't even handle this, and he faints, <laughs> and Nicole Kidman freaks out, but she still has to go to the opera, and it's just like four minutes of watching her face as she's panicking but can't move because she's at the opera it's
0: mesmerizing I mean I I think it was ambiguous at the end whether or not he had been reading I did a lot of reading last night when I couldn't sleep about <laughs> this movie great. and there are, there are a fair bit of critics who believe that it was still ambiguous like at the end maybe he had been briefly possessed by the spirit of Nicole Kidman's dead husband and then it kind of ended for him for whatever reason. I
2: think like the reason that I like this movie is that it deals with doubt and I'm really like interested in the whole dynamic of wanting to hang on to a relationship that just doesn't exist anymore and sort of like holding on for like signs from the universe that Mm. it's going to happen again. And I like the ambiguity of the movie leaving it open as to whether there is mystery in the world. You know, I think too often that gets like crushed out of movies and I I find that really dull. Um, But I also think this is like a meta movie about Tom Cruise. So Maybe I I'm love following. that theory. please elaborate okay so Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise got divorced in like 2001 and in that po- at that point he divorced her. she had like a terrible miscarriage because she was pregnant at the time that he left her and it was all over Scientology and she lost her kids and eventually he like brainwashed their kids you know allegedly <laughs> uh, whatever but he brainwashed her kids. Allegedly, and they like left with him. And so, like, 2004 was like a dark time for Nicole Kidman. Here comes this movie that's all about like the longing for this life that she had, and like even this weird, like holding on to this weird, even creepy hope (laughs) that like this dead man will come back to her. And the dead man is Tom Cruise
3: whoa it's also weird because so much of scientology is about reincarnation right totally oh, all just
2: tetons
0: yeah
3: what are whoa. they called
0: oh i
2: don't
1: Thetans. know phatons
0: tetons tetons <laughs> the mountains <laughs> well let's say this teo this certainly qualifies as a fucked up in a good way questionably movie of the week <laughs> about women for us so thank you And that was our first lady problem. So thank you guys so much for listening. And we're also here to answer questions about your lady problems. So if you have one, you can call us at 205-677-5239. That's 205-677-LADY. We worked very hard for that. So please use it. Uh, And what constitutes a lady problem is totally up to you. You can call about going to Louis C.K.'s show and feeling bad about your life choices. uh, Or the time you got mansplained at a bar and poured beer in someone's shoes. Totally your call. Uh, and if you like this episode, please be sure to give us a rating or leave us a review on iTunes, and it really helps other people find us, and it also helps us feel good about ourselves. So thank you very much in advance, and we'll see you next week. This episode of Lady Problems was produced by Kasia Mihailovic, Michael Katano, and Mukta Mohan for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. Subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes.